Welcome to Parkview. <laughs> Glad to have you here. Uh, welcome if you're watching on the internet, uh, especially to you, uh, anonymous sir or madam, who sent me a note telling me to leave your church alone when you heard that I was going to be talking about Catholicism last week. Um, they addressed it. It's anonymous, so uh, you send me an honest mail, I'm going to, you know, make fun of it. This is how it goes. Um, they sent it to Parkview Church. Let me show you up there. Parkview Church. So welcome to Parkview Church. Um, it, it was sent before the sermon. I, I don't know if you heard the sermon yet or not, ma'am or sir. Um, I, I talked about the differences between Catholicism and us, and um, I tried to be respectful, and I said, we're on the same team. We just do it differently. And the bishop of the Joliet Diocese was actually at our Homer campus, and we're going to get together and talk about doing things together. I said, I'm not a protestant. I'm not a Protestant, not protesting anything. Um, and, and if you didn't get a chance to hear it, I hope you go online and hear it. just wanted to explain why we do things differently, all right? Next week, how would Jesus vote? Uh, I mean, my friend has a question, how would Jesus vote? The way things are going, I'm not sure he would vote at all, but we'll talk about it, right? And, um, and this week, we're going to dine. Um, is there only one way to God? Is Jesus the only way? These are hard questions. Um, before I jump into that, let me just invite you, if you're a small group leader, Monday night at 6.30 to come to the Orland campus for a little preview of a campaign that we're going to be rolling out right before, uh, right before Easter time. Uh, 6.30, we'll have snacks and, and all kinds of stuff. You can register online. If you're a small group leader, I want to encourage you to come and be a part of that. Um, let, let me start this discussion of uh, re world religions and how Jesus works into it <clears throat> with a really dumb joke, okay? Um, uh, my son-in-law is a computer programmer, so this is like a computer programming joke for those of you that understand this, okay? Um, it seems that all the historical religious figures were all together one day, and they decided to learn computer programming and uh, have a little contest, all right? So they're all learning software programming and how to do it, and, and there's this great contest. And after days of competition, it becomes apparent that two of the world's religious leaders really came to the forefront, Jesus and Mohammed. You're feeling really uncomfortable right now, aren't you? I know, I love this. It's so great. Like last week it was circumcision. No, no, this is good. Okay, stay with me. <clears throat> the judge described the software application. He said, okay, you guys take off and go. And so they both, you know, started working on their, uh, on their program, and the clock showed that it was going to get to be the end of time, uh, of the, the time, and they were going to have to come up with their product, and they were both working really, really hard. And all of a sudden, a lightning bolt flashed, and everything, the power went out. After a moment, it came back on. Time was up. The judge said, well, show me what you got. Muhammad's like, I, I lost everything. We just had a power outage, right? Jesus, what do you got? He smiled, clicked the mouse. Dazzling application came up on his screen. And uh, after a few moments, the judge was clearly impressed and said Jesus won. When somebody asked why the decision was made, the judge pointed out the very obvious and unique characteristic that set the winner apart from all other religious leaders. Jesus saves. It, it, it's really a dumb joke, but um, in, in the end, uh, we could just not have the sermon and that could be it. Um, there's one person who could die on a cross for our sins and save us, and none of the rest of them could, and none of the rest of them did, so that's kind of it. But let me explain it with this, uh, with this buffet, all right? This is the buffet. I didn't take my kids to Chuck E. Cheese very often, 
as a dad, I was a bad dad. I, you know, just, no, we're not going there unless you have a birthday party. I want food. Um, and, and, you know, I didn't do McDonald's a lot. I didn't do a lot of fast food. But one of the places where we would go, if it was one of their birthdays or whatever, a lot of times they would want to go to the old country buffet. Can you get an amen from you? Okay. You've love, you got to love the buffet. Um, I, I don't go to the buffet very often. I can't even tell you the last time I went to a buffet because I realized I'm not exactly the pillar of self-control. Uh, that's just not me. I have this conundrum between eating healthy and getting my money's worth, and that's really, really hard, you know? Like, I'm, I'm a lot better at being cheap than I am at being healthy, so I go to a buffet and I want to get my money's worth. Uh, buffets are popular because of selection. You can have a meal that consists of watermelon and pudding and pizza and grilled chicken and fried chicken and mashed potatoes. That's the only way I'm ever getting mashed potatoes is at a buffet, right? And, and then you got all the dessert. That's why it's so popular, because of the selection, right? That's why my kids liked it. Somebody could be in the mood for pizza. Somebody else could be in the, you know, in the mood for a roast beef, and, and it was really simple that way. And it's a, it's a great place if you want to go have selection, and it's a great analogy. I got this from Kyle Eidelman, my friend uh, down at Southeast Christian Church in Louisville. Great analogy for how the world approaches how we get to God. This is how culture views the way we get to God. There's all kinds of different choices. Everybody just go find what suits you, and it doesn't really matter because we're all going to end up at the same airport anyway, right? That, that's what the world would say. And the, and the truth of the matter is, the, the interesting thing about this to me is that there is a God-shaped hole inside of all of us. I mean, the Bible says that God has planted eternity in the human heart, and I believe that. I, I believe that it's there. All cultures look for a way to get to God, and most of the time, they end up with something that they realize that they think they need to do to get their way to God, you know, something that they can do along the way. And we all feel like there's probably a place where we want to go someday, and we're a little worried that there might be a heaven and there might be a hell, and it kind of gnaws on us just a little bit, um, as demonstrated by my Simpsons clip. Now, I don't want you to get frightened, but it's my responsibility to teach you this. Today's topic will be hell. Oh, all right. I sat through mercy and I've sat through forgiveness. Finally, we get to the good stuff. Oh, hell is a terrible place. As a matter of fact, if you actually saw hell, you'd be so frightened you would die. Oh, Miss Albright. Yes, Bart. Wouldn't you eventually get used to it, like in a hot tub? No. Yes, Bart. Are there pirates in hell? Yes, thousands of them. Oh, baby. So what you're saying is there's a downside to the afterlife. How does one steer clear of this abode of the damned? Good question. How does one steer clear of this abode of the damned? So we come up with these different approaches. Uh, the first approach is eat your vegetables. In other words, do good works along the way. That, that's what it is for us, okay? Never ceases to amaze me when I go to a buffet and I see all of these vegetables at the buffet, you know? I mean, like, this is kale, okay? Why would there be kale at a buffet? If I have a selection of food to eat, I'm not eating kale, I'm not eating quinoa. Can I, get a, can, I, can I get some support here? Okay. Have you ever been to a buffet and seen Brussels sprouts? Can you imagine if you had the freedom of choice, would you ever eat a Brussels sprout? No, no, of course not. No, you're not going to. If I have some roast beef on my plate and I want a vegetable, I'm going to have mashed potatoes. Potatoes are a vegetable. Are you with me? Are you following me? I, I paid for this food. I'm not eating Brussels sprouts. 
I saw a piece of, this is just me to you, I saw a piece of real estate for sale recently in the area, and I just happened to notice the sign, it was Kale Realty. I, I know you probably already go to Parkview, or somebody's going to tell you to watch this, just a little from me to you, you've got to change the name. I mean, make it Bacon Realty, or Filet Mignon Realty, or something, not Kale Realty, that's not going to work. Some people do go, however, to a buffet, and they decide they're going to be healthy. That's why I don't go, because I, I can't do that. When they're on the spiritual smorgasbord, there are people who thrive on what I would call a Brussels sprout religion. It tastes gross, but at least I can feel good because I've done my part. Now, this is where Christianity is supposed to be different than every other religion. Christianity doesn't teach that you can get there on your own. Every other religion says you've got to eat your vegetables, do some unpleasant things so that you can earn your way in. You pray five times a day. You give alms. You fast. You take a pilgrimage. You use a prayer wheel. You can't eat certain foods. You can't do things on certain days and innumerable other possibilities because you're going to work your way to heaven. And the truth is, Christianity's roots go back to Judaism. Understand that. Jesus was a Jew. And Judaism, God set up the whole Old Testament in that form. You know, it was do good stuff. And if you don't do good stuff, I have a priest who will offer a sacrifice on your behalf and everything will be okay. So Moses comes down the mountain. Here are your 15, your, your 10 commandments little Mel Brooks reference. Hey, here's your Ten Commandments, and you need to follow these as best you can. I got this letter that this person sent me, sent me a timeline of, of how, you know, they, they basically said, my church goes back to Jesus. What does your church go back to? You know, and showed me a timeline of how everything went. I, I tried to explain that our church, all churches go back to Jesus, but it doesn't matter. My church goes back to Abraham, and so does yours. God started us off with a system where he said, here's what I want you to do, here's the law, and this is important. Judaism, Islam, and Christianity all go back to Abraham. This is why that mount in that little hillside in Jerusalem has a mosque and a temple on it at different layers along the way because Judaism and Islam were fighting over this same hill in Jerusalem. Please, and please don't miss the point. We need the law. We need the things that God gave us. We should be good, okay? Good works aren't a bad thing. They are a good thing. Eating healthy is a good thing. The question is, are you doing your good works to try to pay for your bad works? And we talked about this a little bit last week. That's the question. Are you eating your Brussels sprouts today because you went to B-dubs last night and had 20 habanero hot wings and a quart of beer, okay? And you're trying to make up for it. That's the question. Doing good, living good is a part of the narrow way that leads to life. Having your brain set to the things of, of the spirit lead to life and peace. Healthy vegetables are really good for you. I know I feel better when I eat fruit and vegetables and not so much pizza. I know that. That's why I avoid the buffet. And I'm hoping maybe you will avoid the spiritual buffet by the time I'm getting done. Because eating right doesn't get us to God. Jesus does. That's what grace is all about. So that's why Christians aren't worried about that hillside in Jerusalem. No one can be made right, Paul said. No one can be made right with God by doing what the law commands. Do you understand that? What, well, then what was the law for? He said, the law simply shows us how sinful we are. 
The reason God set up the whole Old Testament and the law was because we do need a way to govern our society. We do need to know the right ways, the things of God and the things that aren't the things of God. But he also wanted to demonstrate for us the fact that we are not good enough to do all those things. And we never will be. And he wanted to set it up so that when Jesus came, we would all go, oh, this is why. This is how I get to God. I take the gift of Jesus. And I'm not judged by the law anymore because I cannot be made right with God by doing what the law commands. God is not going to love me more or less depending on how many Brussels sprouts I eat. And there are many churches that have this eat your vegetable mentality. Many of us grew up thinking that you had to follow the rules to get to God. And maybe that's where you came from. And maybe that's why you walked away from the faith for a while. Because you grew up and mom wasn't around to make you eat your vegetables literally. And she wasn't going to make you eat your vegetables spiritually. And you said enough. I want to say to you, I don't think you have a problem with Jesus. I think you have a problem with the interpretation of Jesus by the people who represented him to you. Now, I'm not a real pastor because I don't preach at a real church, but um, I can assure you that I do have a, I have a doctorate, an earned doctorate in religion, and I want to tell you, I want to assure you without a shadow of a doubt, you can attend church every week, you can tithe, you can serve in a homeless shelter, you can watch Joel Osteen on TV every day and still not be good enough to get yourself into heaven. You can eat all the quinoa you want, you're still going to die. You understand this? Don't you? Elderly couple went to heaven. They're looking around. Peter says, hey, welcome. Glad you're here. And the husband sees the the food bar, and it's like unbelievable. And he heads right over to the desserts and starts eating cake. And his wife's like, no, you can't eat cake yet. We haven't eaten. You know, this is not good for you. And and Peter was like, no, no, you don't understand. Everything's good for you up here. It doesn't matter. You're in heaven. And the wife turned to the husband and said, isn't this incredible? And the husband shoved a donut in his mouth and said, yeah, and if it weren't for you and your oat brand, we could have been here years ago. (laughs) At the end of the day, we're going to end up in another place, and that's what's important. And and, and if you stop the average person on the street and you said, hey, what do you think think happens after you die? The average person on the street is going to say, well, I, I think there's another place, a better place. And and if you follow that up with, do you think you're going there? Most of them are going to say, yeah, I think I'm going there. And if you follow that up with why, they're going to say, because I'm good. Because I'm a good person. I've lived a good life. I've eaten my vegetables. Political commentator Bill Maher, after the movie The Passion for the Christ came out, was talking about it on a television interview. And he said, I found it compelling and very thought-provoking. But my conclusion was, he said, I just don't get it. I mean, the thought of someone else cleansing my sins is ridiculous. I don't need anyone to cleanse me. I can cleanse myself. And the crowd erupted in applause. That's approach number one. I can only say good luck with that. Approach number two is I don't really care. I'm going for dessert, right? Life is short, eat dessert first. That's, that's what this is all about. I don't really care if there's an afterlife or not. I'm going, to, I'm going to have heaven here on earth, and I'm going to do the things that I want. The, the philosophical word for this is hedonism. 
It's pleasure becoming my religion. I don't worry about anything else. If it feels good, I'm going to do it. If I'm going to eat it, I'm going to drink it, I'm going to buy it, I'm going to drive it, I'm going to snort it, I'm going to sleep with it, whatever, it doesn't matter. If it feels good, I'm going to do it because it's all about the dessert. And this is actually a great part of the analogy from Kyle for me, from Kyle Eidelman, because the truth of the matter is mashed potatoes aren't my downfall, dessert is my downfall. Anybody with me? I mean, dessert, I mean, it's just hard for me. To, if it's there, I'm, I'm, I'm going to want some, okay? My wife's family lives in Missouri, um, and for 26 years, we've been driving back and forth multiple times a year through St. Louis, and we lived in St. Louis for a while. We happen to know that the, uh, the world's best frozen custard and one of the original frozen custard places is Ted Drew's frozen custard. Anybody know this place? Okay. And going through St. Louis, I reckon it's only a couple miles off the beaten path if you're going down 44. And after a car, if you ever get to go to Bush Stadium and go to a Cardinal game, go to Ted Drew's afterwards. It's unbelievable. There'll be 300 people in line. The cops will be, you know, stopping traffic so people can get their Ted Drew's. It's incredible. So every time we go through St. Louis, the conversation goes something like this. Are we going to stop at Ted Drew's? And, and by conversation, I mean, I ask the question and she gives the answer. <laughs> you know, it doesn't matter what, 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 I, what my answer is, you know, it's, it's her answer. So sometimes we stop and sometimes we don't. And, and the funny thing is, it, it, we love it so much, it doesn't matter if it's wintertime. I mean, on the way back from Christmas, it was open and we stopped. You know, it doesn't matter. That's just our little, that's just our little thing. And it doesn't matter if we've had a real meal or not, we'll still stop. And frozen custard is awesome, I want to tell you, but it does not replace a meal. I've never had a concrete from Ted Drew's and, and walked away and said, well, I don't need dinner now. Normally, I'm going to go stop and eat a salad to try to counteract, you know, the bad thing that I've just done, right? Like the previous illustration. But man cannot live by custard alone. And you know this. And please don't misunderstand me. I'm not saying that God doesn't want us to have dessert. Every good and perfect gift comes from above. You know that God created wine and Jesus made wine. But you also know that if you drink too much, you're not going to feel good the next day. And it could become a problem. You know that's true of frozen custard, for crying out loud. My point is that God gives us good things to enjoy, but those things that we enjoy make for a lousy God. And pretty soon that sugar high leaves you feeling emptier than you've ever felt before, and you start looking for something else. Solomon said, I decided to try it. I told myself, come now, I will test you with pleasure to find out what is good, but that also proved to be meaningless. doesn't make for a good God on the dessert bar. The third one is kind of where everybody usually fits somewhere along the way, and that's pluralism. A little bit of everything along the way. And here's what most people do. Most people think, I know there's some place maybe outside of here, I believe that there is a God because I have a God-shaped hole inside of me, and I want to find God, so I'm going to use everything I possibly can to get there. So I'm going to have some roast beef, and I'm going to have some mashed potatoes, and I'm going to have some kale, and, you know, maybe I'll have a little apple pie here on top of it. That looks good, and I'll have some quinoa, and I'll have a cookie, and I'll have some pizza because it's a buffet, right? I'm going to get a little bit of everything so that I, I know I want my dessert, so I'm going to have some salad. I'm going to balance it out, and I'm going to hope that somewhere in all of here something makes sense. At its surface level, this is what everybody kind of looks for. This is why when you ask the average person, 64% of Americans say they believe that all religions pray to the same God. Christians, Muslims, Buddhists, they all pray to the same God, which is interesting because Buddhists don't even pray, and they don't even pray to a God. 
And Muslims pray to Allah, and, and, and Christians pray, pray to Jehovah or Yahweh. They pray to a different personification of what God is like at all. But that's the perspective of our culture. I'll take a scoop of Islam over here, you know, a, a little slice of New Age along the way, some Wicca, you know, give me a scoop or two of Christianity, give me a little Scientology because I love that Tom Cruise, you know, I'm going to put it all together and I'm going to have myself covered one way or the other. And please hear me, I'm not saying that other religions don't have positive things. What I'm saying is that this is impossible to reconcile with the words of Jesus. John 14, if you got your Bibles or your phones with an app, you could go there because I want you to see this. It's the most comforting passage followed by the most troubling passage in the Bible, all within six verses. John 14, if you've ever been to a, a, a funeral, you've probably heard this one. This is the last day of Jesus' life, and he's talking to the disciples, and he says, don't let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God, trust also in me. My father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you, and I'm going to prepare a place for you. It had to have been unbelievable because they, they were trying to get the picture of Jesus leaving and where was he going, and that had to have been so encouraging. But Thomas, who was the over-analytical one of the bunch, Thomas, Thomas said, you know, Jesus, Siri is having a hard time finding heaven. Uh, it's not on my GPS. Tell me how I know the way to get to where you're going. And this is what comes next, and it's one of the most uncomfortable statements of Jesus in the Bible. I am the way and the truth and the life. Thomas, you don't need to know the way. I am the way. No man comes to the Father except through me. This is, this is pretty important. Does Jesus say, I know the way? No, he doesn't say that. Does he say, I'll show you the way? No, he doesn't say that either. Does he say, I am a way? No, he doesn't. He says, I am the way. And in case you're not understanding what I'm saying, he follows it up with, no one comes to the Father except through me. And I understand that this question, is Jesus the only way to God, is charged with emotion. I mean, I, I understand this because it, it sounds like Jesus is being arrogant or Christians are being arrogant or they're being exclusive. And in case you're wondering, it's not the only place that Jesus says something. He said in John 8, 24, I told you you would die in your sins, and if you do not believe that I'm the one I claim to be, you will indeed die in your sins. And Peter, preaching a sermon later on, said, Salvation is found in no one else. There is no other name under heaven given to men by which we must be saved. Now, it's important to understand that the way here is a person. It's Jesus. It's not a doctrine. It's not a theology. It's, it's Jesus. It's a relationship with Jesus. That's why I say all this rule stuff, trying to rule your way in, trying to get a little bit of everything, gets in the way of your relationship with Jesus. But the fact that Jesus said this makes us uncomfortable. And, and I, will, I will tell you, there's no way to address this all in one sermon. There are a lot of surrounding questions. What about the people you know, before Jesus in the Old Testament? Is Abraham in heaven? Yeah, well, we know he is. Jesus told us that. 
Um, you know, what about the American Indians who never heard or the Australian Aborigines or, or whatever group that never got a chance to hear about Jesus? Romans 1, I believe, tells me there's a different judgment for people who hear and reject than people who don't ever get to hear. And the Apostles' Creed that we quoted last week tells us that Jesus, and it's a weird passage in the Bible that nobody really fully understands, but when he was on the cross, descended into a place of death and preached to people. So, so just because I don't understand all the things about the rest of the world and everybody else, I don't have to answer that question. I don't, have to, I don't have to think about that. I have a very good friend that if you've been around here for a while, you've heard preach, Naeem Fazal, who was a Muslim, and he simply had a vision of Jesus, and that's how he came to Jesus. And I hear that story coming from the Middle East all the time. God and his people can be reconciled. I understand this. Jesus can show up. He showed up to the Apostle Paul. That's how that whole thing happened in the beginning. Boom, he just showed up. All right. My job is to help the people that I know to understand that Jesus is the way and this isn't the way. And I know it sounds exclusive, 78 times Jesus says, I tell you the truth. I think it's one of the most common phrases he used. And you're like, well, I'm not, is there truth? I mean, isn't truth exclusive? Yeah, yeah, it is. Every religion is exclusive. Let's just be honest. I mean, Islam, the first pillar of Islam is there is one God, Allah, and Muhammad is his prophet. It wouldn't do you much good to go walking into a mosque and say, well, you know, yeah, I'm a Muslim. I don't really believe in Allah. I don't really believe that Muhammad is the prophet. That just doesn't work. There's either truth or there's not. Buddhism, Buddha taught that there was an eightfold path to enlightenment. You might say, well, Tom, I can do that in four. But you can't play name that tune with, with Buddha, okay? There's eight. You can't do it in four. That's the way it is. There's truth. And actually, the Brussels sprouts theology of Christianity, where you still believe in Jesus, but you still think that you have to work your way in is probably the most exclusive plan of all. Because it's not just the ones who do it our way that get in, but the only the best ones are the ones who do it our way who get in. That's why I don't think any of that works. But at the end of the day, there's either truth or there's not. And if there is truth, that means the things that are going a different direction can't be truth. Kyle gave a great illustration. He said he was on a plane one day in Atlanta. This was before the days when they had a computerized process and checked things when you boarded on a plane quite as closely as they do now. And he said, I got on this plane, headed to Southern California, and, he, and I saw a friend of mine I hadn't seen in, in several years. And he was walking down the aisle, and I got his attention. I said, hey, and we talked, you know, but we were on our way. He was holding people up. So, you know, we just had this brief chat, and he went back to his seat. But on his way back, I said, what's taking you to California? He said, well, I'm not going to California. I'm going to Dallas. True story. Kyle said, but this is a direct flight to California. And he kind of smiled, thought I was joking, and said, no, it's not. It's going to Dallas. And he walked on by. Now, at this point, there's a dilemma, Kyle said. The plane is either going to Dallas or it's going to California. It can't, it can't be both. Okay? He said the guy next to me was like freaking out, like pulling out his ticket, going, whoa, whoa, where are we going? You know, yeah, we're going to California. And he said, aren't you going to do something? And I, and I said, well, I told him he's on the wrong plane. But he said, I, I didn't want to have further confrontation from my friend, so I just told on him instead. And I told a flight attendant, I said, hey, I have a friend back there. He probably should be traveling with a companion, but um, he's on the wrong plane. He thinks he's going to Dallas. Can you take care of that? 
And so she said, yeah, I'll take care of it. So she went back, and pretty soon, here comes my friend, shooting down the aisle saying, oh, I'll talk to you later. And he's running out of the plane. And he said, as soon as he got off, he texted me. He said, don't you dare tell anyone about this story. <laughs> Which is not a good thing to say to a preacher. He uses his sermon illustration the very next weekend. But Kyle said, just imagine this for a second. If I wouldn't have said anything, I could have, he could have just said, I'm going to Dallas. And I could have said, okay, all right. I mean, I don't want to be offensive, man. You know, I don't want to make him feel like a dummy getting on a plane to California when he's supposed to go to Dallas. I don't want to embarrass him, right? I don't want to come off as an arrogant jerk, so I suppose I could have said nothing. But if it's true that there is only one way, and if it's true that this plane is only going to one place, then the only compassionate thing I could do would be to tell people that. Newton said that gravity operates at 32 feet per second. Now, I could say, well, I don't believe in the law of gravity, but it's not going to matter. I could be up on my, up on my roof and, and getting the gutters cleaned out, and I could just decide, you know what, I don't believe in the law of gravity anymore, and jump off my roof. i got to ask you, am I going to float down like Mary Poppins, or am I going to roughly land at 32 feet per second? I mean, gravity is the truth. It doesn't matter what you think. It's the truth. And Jesus said, he said, if you know my teachings, if you know my teachings and you hold to them, you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. People think it's bigoted to, to say that Jesus is the only way, and I don't say that Jesus is the only way. I say Jesus said he's the only way. But what if it's true? Is that bigoted, or is it just a statement of love? I mean, we're working with the country of Malawi. We've adopted them to help bring heaven to earth and earth to heaven. And we're training pastors right now, but I know one of the things I'm anxious to do as we get to, to know the people in Malawi is to help them. And it's not like I understand farming, but I know people that understand farming. And what I realize is that they're farming badly. They're damaging, they're, they're damaging the land. They've, they've, they've just killed the land the way that they're farming. And there's a better way to farm. But as we go in and try to help them, they could say, oh, you crazy Americans, you think you know everything. Or they could say, well, maybe there's some science we don't understand yet. And they could decide to do things differently and have a much greater yield on their crops. We're going to have to help them understand that. What Jesus is saying is not, I'm the best way. He's saying, I'm the only way. And that's different. If Jesus was saying, I'm the best way and all these other ways will get you to California too, it doesn't matter, then he's being arrogant. But if those ways don't work, then what he's saying is let me be clear for you, the truth is God always wanted to have a relationship with you. But sin, based on, the, on the Adam and Eve and what they did in the garden, broke that relationship. And the only way to restore that relationship is for me to come, the perfect son of God, to come down to pay for your sins on the cross so that you can be with God forever. And the closer you examine that statement, the more you realize that if those words of Jesus are true, this is the most important thing you will ever hear. I am the way and the truth and the life. Follow me. If our prayers are answered and they find a cure for cancer, and it's something that can be taken in pill form, and all of a sudden you realize you've got cancer one day, but all you have to do is take a pill to be cured of cancer, can you imagine anybody walking into their doctor and saying, are you kidding me? There's only one way for this cancer to be cured? 
I only have one pill that I can take. I can't take pills from over here. I can't do something else. Of course not. You're going to be thrilled that there's a cure. And the truth is we have a disease. It's called sin. And the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. That's the gospel. Don't complain that there's only one way. Be happy that there is a way. Be very happy that there is a way. For Christ died for our sins once for all, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring you to God. You may have heard this before, but the difference between religion and Jesus is this. This is religion. This is the buffet of religion. It's based on what you do. You pay your dues. You've got a certain amount of rituals you go through, whatever. Tibetan prayer wheel, reincarnations, pass out enough tracks at, at, the, at the airport, you know, avoid eating certain foods, whatever it is, that's due. That's based on what you do. And you've got to do something to get to God. And the truth of the matter is, even the religions that believe this, if you ask them, are all your people going to get to heaven? They're going to say no, because some people won't eat enough vegetables. They're still not going to make it. The difference between Christianity, the difference between Jesus and religion is do versus done. Christianity, Jesus said, if you want to come in, you don't have to buy your way in. You don't have to eat your way in. You don't have to good your way in. Just accept The invitation is there. The door is always open. Here I am, Jesus said, and I'm standing at the door and I'm knocking. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, who? Anyone. That's not exclusive. Here's my voice and opens the door. I will come in and eat with him and he with me. See, the problem for me is, it kind of goes back to the cross. If there was more than one way to God, what kind of a sick God would let his son die on a cross? The last thing that Jesus prayed before he went to the cross was, God, is there another way? I mean, could the eightfold path to enlightenment just be good enough for people? Is there any other way? And evidently God said, no, there is no other way because you, my son, are the way and the truth and the life. It may sound arrogant. I don't feel like it's arrogant because Scripture you've already heard today. It is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not of yourselves. It is the gift of God so that no one can boast. There's no arrogance. As a matter of fact, the only way to come to Christ is in humility. To say, you know what? I can't make it. I can't do it myself. I need need saving. God wants everybody to get in. Jesus is the way, John 3.13. No one has ever gone into heaven except the one who came from heaven, the Son of Man. He is the way. He's the only one that knows. And then he goes on and says, For God loved the world so much that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. The way. To save the world. That's why Jesus said, my whole reasoning coming was to seek and to save the lost. And Peter later tells us, the Lord isn't slow about his promise to return as some people think. No, he's being patient for your sake. The reason he hasn't come back for 2,000 years is because he's waiting for us. He's waiting for you. He does not want anyone to perish. So he is giving more time for everyone to repent. And repent doesn't mean eat your vegetables. Repent means turn to God. 
And remember that the Lord is waiting so that more people will have time to be saved. And all you have to do is get your free ticket. Let's pray. Lord, I, I know that without that full explanation, sometimes it sounds hard to people to understand that you are the way. And I pray for all of those people that have heard about you and aren't sure. I pray for those people that have heard about you and rejected you. I pray for all those people who have never heard about you. That's why we exist. That's why you put us here on the planet to be witnesses of the good news of great joy that will be to all people. A Savior has been born. So be with us as we do that. Be with us as a church as we do that. We're here to help seek and save those who are lost. And Lord, if there are people in this room who can feel you knocking on the door of their heart right now, please let them open it up. Knock really hard right now. Knock really hard during this song, during this communion time. Let them open it up. Let them open it up and say, Jesus, I can't save myself. I don't even like Brussels sprouts. I can't, get, I can't eat enough vegetables. I can't do enough good stuff to get myself into heaven. I need you to save me. And I'm going to follow you. I'm going to give you my life. Lord, be with us as we commune right now. In Jesus' name, amen.